Hey, welcome into a very special Juneteenth edition of Be Conscious. Now, don't worry. If you're looking for the daily podcast, that's still going to drop. We're still going to talk sports. We'll talk the latest in Major League Baseball, the NFL, everything going on with COVID-19, the concerns around Florida, all of that stuff. We'll have all of it for you at its normal time. But given that today is Juneteenth and given that we already dropped an episode of Be Conscious over on Patreon.com slash Damian Barling this week, I wanted to make this particular episode of Be Conscious available to you for free. It's a conversation I had with Tyler Merritt. You may remember Tyler Merritt. He was the focal point of a video that circulated quite a bit over the course of the last couple of weeks. It is him uh, in a plain black backdrop with gray dreads and a beard talking about before you call the cops, let me get to share a little bit about myself. And it's a video again. It was widely spread uh, all over uh, social media, late night talk shows, and we had a very lengthy conversation. And I wanted to be able to share that with you here uh, on Juneteenth. Also, I wanted to give you a little preview of what we're doing over at patreon.com slash Damien Barling. Uh, if you haven't jumped over there to the subscription service yet, be conscious. This podcast that you're listening to here today, uh, we do episodes every single week. This particular week, we happen to do two episodes. That's why I decided to make one free for you. Uh, so head over to patreon.com slash Damien Barling, uh, and take a look at the different tiers we've got over there. We've got uh, tons of bonus content. We've, if you're a wrestling fan, you can check out the episodes of Relive early. Uh, we also got a weekly wrestling podcast that drops every single Friday. And then, of course, uh, we have Be Conscious as well. We even have a Sacramento Kings tier that's going to kick into high gear uh, in just a little over a month when the season hopefully gets underway. Uh, but today's focal point is on... Be Conscious. And I hope you'll give this a listen. Uh, if you've never listened to Be Conscious before, if you've never heard our conversations, like our entire conversations that center around race, I, I, I encourage you to listen to this. I, I really do think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Tyler was an extraordinary conversation. He's an extraordinary individual. The Tyler Merritt Project is something absolutely special. If you dig what you're listening to, I hope you'll share it across social media and let everybody know what we're doing with Be Conscious over on Patreon.com. Slash Damien Barling. So I really hope you enjoy this show, this edition of Be Conscious with Tyler Merritt. Before you call the cops, I just want you to know the first thing that I did when I woke up this morning was yell at my alarm clock. My parents were raised in the South. I have to roll tide or they'll disown me. They raised me in Las Vegas. That city still has my heart. I hate spiders. I'm a vegetarian. I'm not proud about it. I've done goat yoga. I'm really not proud about that. I can tell you every single word off the NWA Straight Outta Compton album. I can also sing you every single word from Oklahoma. Bananas are disgusting. I am a Christian. I spend almost every Sunday morning teaching kids in Sunday school. I am often asked if I am Muslim. I'm okay with that. I'm pretty much convinced if you met my mother, you'd automatically become a better person. My father is a veteran. He taught me how to say yes sir and yes ma'am to everyone that I meet. I don't 
I pray for. I love basketball and also hockey. I've never been to jail. I've never owned a gun. I hate that anyone at all might possibly be afraid of me. I'd go around the world and back again if I knew that single act might make your day better. I'm a proud man. I'm a proud black man. Does any of this really matter? No. I just wanted you to get to know me better before you call the cops. Brother's name right there is Tyler Merritt. You have probably seen that video uh, circulating across social media over the last several weeks. Hopefully you have. Uh, there is a brief portion of it. Welcome into the latest edition of Be Conscious. Of course, I'm your host, Amy Barling. I thank you so much uh, for the support here on Patreon, patreon.com slash Barling. Thank you for the love. Thank you for making this uh, podcast possible. And I don't want to waste any more time, man. Uh, Tyler Merritt is with us here today. And, and Tyler, I can't imagine what things have been like for you the last few weeks. My life has been um, one podcast or video chat after the other, and you find yourself going, yeah, this is good and all, but I got to go. But, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I believe it. Yes, sir. Let's do it, man. Okay, so you 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 kind of alluded to it, what your life has been like since that uh, since that famous viral video I played here to open the show. Uh, like, let, let's open with, what's what's been the weirdest thing that has happened over the course of the last few weeks? <laughs> it's funny, man. You Okay, because... I don't really talk about this much, this too much, because I talk so much about um, the state of our Black existence right now that I rarely just talk about the craziness, right? Um, Okay. Waking up on a Saturday morning to see that LeBron James tweeted about you and said something to the effect of... uh, Man, I watched this video, and at the end of it, I cried. And I looked at this tweet going, I'm at the end of that video. (laughs) (laughs) LeBron's talking about me. He's talking about Jimmy Kimmel and me. Um, That that was probably the most um, surreal, you know. Don't get me wrong. My contact list, the people that I have in my phone now that I text with has grown exponentially over the past couple of weeks just because that's how social media works, you know? Um, but outside of that, man, it's just been good that, you know, it's a catch 22, right? Jimmy? I mean, cause you have, when you do socially conscious, like material content, you are, are happy and honored when people want to view it, but you also find yourself going, I hope I never have to make this material or content, yeah. you know? So it's a catch-22 there, man, in that um, I happen to be one of the voices that people want to listen to now, and I'm honored for that in this moment um, because I feel like some of the things that I'm saying may be a little bit different than some of the other voices because, as you know this, all of us as Black people, we are not, um, we are not the same right? So just because we are all trying to put out the fire in a house right now, doesn't mean we're all trying to do it the same way, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, man. 
It, it, you know, you talked about not not wanting to ever do this, but also in, in, in the same sense, and your video just speaks to this, or this particular video speaks to this in grand fashion, is normally when you're talking about a conscious issue like this, you're putting yourself in a really, really vulnerable state. And it's difficult to put yourself out there in, in that state, like in that frame of mind in front of, in your case, the entire world. Yeah, I have a joke with my mom. When I created this video, really, I made the video two years ago, right? It actually went viral the first time two years ago in 2018. And it had some 20 plus million views. And um, stuff got really weird. So I pulled away from social media in its entirety. But I have this joke with my mother where she says, boy, why do you wear a shirt in that video? And I was like, if I knew 20 million people were going to see it, I would have put on a shirt. <laughs> you, you know, like uh, when you create content, you don't think to yourself, oh, this will be seen by most of the world, yeah. you know? Um, but with that being said, you're completely right, man. Um, I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what concerned me the most, Amy, when I originally did the video is I was concerned for people of color and come to find out it was a justifiable concern that thought that I was attempting to humanize myself in such a way to kind of go against the direction that we as black people are trying to move forward to, mm -hmm. to living in a place where we don't have to do that, living in a place where we um, are equal, that we don't have to say, this is who we are, therefore, please accept us. And um, I was concerned that black people were going to feel that I was you know, doing something against what we're moving towards. And many of black people felt that way. Um, though I will say this, the reaction from people that I get all over the world weighs out that thing, right? Um, weighs out that thing when someone wants to say, man, you're just being an Uncle Tom or you're just whatever. I will any day of the week wear that mantle if if for some reason the next time a cop or somebody who may be, might be fearful of a of a six foot two black person with dreadlocks maybe stops for a second and goes, you know what? Hey, maybe that guy is just trying to get home to his mom. You know, maybe that guy just came from teaching Sunday school. Maybe that guy doesn't like bananas like me or is afraid of spot. If 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 somebody takes a beat, a second. And that could be the difference between creating more George Floyds, more Philander Castiles. If, if there is a moment that that video causes in the hearts of anybody, then, man, I will wear that mantle for the rest of my life. Navigating the waters of black consciousness is a extraordinary, just difficult task. The tightrope that involves, it's like you're a, you're either Dr. King or you're Malcolm X and people often re refuse to meet in the middle, despite the fact they have convinced themselves that they're not fighting for the same cause. I always find that extraordinary in times like this. I witness it here firsthand. Cause I see a lot of, yeah, I, like street activists, right there. Sure. They, they kind of pride themselves in the, in the Malcolm X and the black Panther philosophy. And so they turn it totally turn their nose up. You know, when the NAACP comes to town and, 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 and they hold a mar march that, you know, that, that brings out three, four, five, six thousand people marching the streets of, you know, Sacramento. It happened here a couple of weeks ago. And it's like, no, no, we ain't going to be a part of that. And it's like, yo, look, what do you mean? Like, we're talking about the same issues here. Y you can meet in the middle in some aspects if the common goal is the same. 
let's meet, let's talk. And I feel like there's always a division amongst activists. And, you know, I, I think it's also worth in po- pointing out, Tyler, you're not new to the activist game. You've, you've, you've been out there for quite a while. Right, right. So it's, you, it's just the video just kind of pushed you out there a little bit more to the forefront, but you, you've, you've been at this grind for a long time. True. And I, when I birthed Tyler Merritt Project a few years ago, um, I specifically, it, it, so this was the way that I was knowing about it. And I understand that the way that I was going about it is very different than some people that are good friends of mine. And specifically in Northern California area, because I went to school in, in Santa Cruz, right? Okay. So I have a handful of friends that are are big name black activists in the Bay Area that feel the absolute opposite of me. And I'm talking like friends that feel the absolute opposite of, of the way that I do. But when I birthed Tyler Merritt Project back two and a half years ago, it originally started even two years before that, right? So I had decided, man, that at the ground level of who all of us are as people, and no matter who you are, whatever your background is from, wherever you are from, man, all of us, we want to be loved, we want to be accepted, we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to laugh, and we want to know that we are known. Like, that's a basis, right? If that's just the ground floor, Damien, of where we are, I knew that if I started there and then began to build things on that rock that could help create conversation, if I built humor into the stuff that I did. So I was doing stand-up comedy at different venues here in the South area, man, just so I can see how my words are going to affect people in a live room. I began reading books on psychology, really trying to think about the difference between one person and the other and how to communicate with people, constantly finding out, coming back to laughter is a place that we all land. So I would look, if I'm going to start to make um, videos or going to ask questions, I need to do it in a way that people will, they want to laugh for a minute. I kind of bring them down to this basic level, but then hit them with something that leaves them going, man, I need to talk about this. Now, even though that seems like a, a, a just a, a kind of general idea, the idea that I would continue to press this idea of that we need to love each other, we all need to be seen, that goes against some of the Black people in our community that are going, look, we've been loving long enough. This, it's time for us now to be loved. It's time for people to come to us. It's time for uh, white people to walk in their white guilt. And I've been saying this for the past however long, look, right now, I do not need you to be in your white guilt. I pray that you will trade your white guilt for bravery. Right now, white people, I need you to be brave. But because I want to walk alongside people, just because I want to hear what they say, just because I do not have a problem sitting next to a Trump supporter and absolutely hearing every single word that they say, does that mean I'm going to agree with them? No. But the tie that binds me to them is that I am going to love them because I hope they do the same with me. And though that seems like a normal, that seems like something you might hear in grade school, or it sounds like it's a golden rule, because Black people are not monolithic, that's something that we fight against. Yeah. And you were completely right. I say it all the time, man. We, you got to remember, we have your Martins and we have our, our Malcolms. And I use this example often that a house, when a house is burning, you have some people that are trying to grab a pail of water and throw it on the throw it on the fire. You have somebody who's grabbing a fire extinguisher. 
You have somebody who's grabbing a bag of sand. You have some people that are running. And the people with the fire extinguisher are saying, why are you running? The people with the water are going, why are you using the fire extinguisher? But really, we're all, look, we all agree that our house is burning mm-hmm. right now. What are we going to do? And um, I'll be honest with you, man. I have people that are out there that go a different way about things that I do that I don't agree with. But, you know, black people aren't monolithic. Yeah, and, you know, I, I also am always fascinated that people whether purposely or not, they choose to ignore the end of Malcolm's life where he was kind of taking steps towards Dr. King's way of thinking. You know, he was looking to kind of go along that route. It's like people just ignore it and they go, you know, they, they go straight to, you know, brother Malcolm and the, you know, the, 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 the very hard and firm speeches that he used to give while ignoring there towards the end of his life. He was like, well, you know, maybe that line of thinking wasn't a hundred percent correct. Maybe there are other ways to approach this. Like, no, we can't have other ways. It's just, no, absolutely not. It is, it is this way. And this is, you know, we always talk about how Dr. King's history has been rewritten and it's, it's been Mm. framed in a certain way. Well, I I feel like the same is true for Malcolm X. Malcolm X's uh, uh, history has been framed where he's just this, this hard, he's just this militant, he hated white people, he had this way of thinking, nation of Islam. We're going to ignore the last couple of years of his life just completely in every speech he gave after he left the nation. We're just going to ignore that and wipe that out from history. Oh, yeah, no, we sum up Malcolm X by by any means necessary. That's it. That's yep. all, That's how we sum up Malcolm X. Yeah. And then we sum up Martin Luther King with, I have a dream. <laughs> yes. Those are, those are the two worlds that we live in, right? When it comes to Malcolm and Martin, right? But you're completely right. We are not looking at the entirety of their lives. I'll, I'll tell you this, man. It's something that I feel about Martin. This is a whole other conversation we can have. Martin Luther King was a flawed, flawed man. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? He yeah. was a flawed, flawed individual. And we have taken him to be the savior of all. And don't get me wrong. I am I I'm I believe in Martin like anybody else did, but the thing that stands out to me was that he continued to serve and do what he did, knowing that he was flawed. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the story of Martin. You know, is that he, he had a million reasons to to stop doing the, the things that he was doing, but he continued to move forward, which I think above all else right now, man. <sighs> The fact that so many black voices are coming forward, even though we are all trying to figure out different ways to put out this fire, this moment is significant because we are all trying to move forward. But do you think it's, this is a, this is a hard question to frame. Do you think it's the, it's, it's, it's the black voices that are moving us forward? Or do you think it's like suddenly, cause this is how I feel to be completely honest. Suddenly yeah. white people seem to be really accepting of this black lives matter movement, this same black lives matter movement that they were trashing four years ago and calling a terrorist group and doing all of those other things. Suddenly it's on Amazon's page. It's on, I opened up the Lyft app and there it is. Postmates is sending me, you know, black owned restaurants in my area. And it's like, Oh, okay. Okay. This, this is different now. I can, I can talk about black lives matter. Cause y'all got mad when I talked about it four years ago, but you're okay with it today. What, what did I miss? Listen, you say four years ago, I'll say two. Cause my, the video uh, before you call the cops came out two years ago. And I was still dealing with Black Lives Matter then. I was dealing with people hashtagging my video and sharing it, Black Lives Matter, and them getting this pullback or 
or or people even saying to me, hey, if you say Black Lives Matter with this video, you're kind of going against your whole concept of being able to talk to a wide audience, right? So this is this is what I would say, man. And I, I even hate to say this, but I'm going to tell you what I think made the difference. Okay. And let me be clear in saying, this is in no way of me trying to say that there is a silver lining to anything that has happened over the past few weeks, because there's not. There is no silver lining to anybody dying, let alone people that look like me. But here's the truth. When George Floyd died, you're watching this man get choked out with a knee on his neck. And about 10 seconds in, Damon, you're like, well, this is, this, this is unfortunate. About 20 seconds in, you're going, okay, I can barely even watch this. Mm -hmm. About 30 seconds in, you realize that you are watching a man lose his life. Mm -hmm. And you're watching it gradually. There's no argument with that. You, we are watching a man die. Now, that paired with Amy Cooper, the young white woman who was out at yeah. Central Park and some of your listeners. Central Park, know, Karen. Right, right. <laughs> that whole situation with her where we got to watch the steps, bro. We got to literally watch the steps of a white woman go, oh, you don't like the thing that I'm doing? Watch me yeah. turn into a crying woman to have a cop come and get you black person. And we got to watch that. So the mixture of watching Amy Cooper and George Floyd side by side in like a two day period was um, enough clinical evidence for white people, I believe, to finally be able to go, okay, maybe this, maybe, maybe when they say Black Lives Matter, they're not, this isn't, uh, you know, and for the first time they have to say, because I remember in 2018, man, I had to, most of my energy was spent arguing with people over what they were seeing in front of their face. You, I'm sure you had the same discussion. How many arguments did you have with people about the Philando Castile video? Oh my gosh. How many arguments did you have of going, you are watching the same thing I'm watching, bro? The one like, that always gets me is Walter Scott. Like, like Walter gosh. Scott. In the, like, and, and, and I think that's the one I always point to when I get frustrated. And, and I've heard, you know, people, I, I, we, we've had these conversations both you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a forum with, with, with our audience here or, or just amongst my friends where we talk about the, you know, what you just outlined, the slow death of, of George Floyd. And I, and, and every single time I just go back like, damn, Walter Scott wasn't enough. Like he was, he was running away and people still justify, well, you shouldn't run away. Man, what are we, what are we, what are we doing? I have to do to convince you that what you are watching is what you are watching. And little did, man, little did we know we were going to have to say, hey, in two years from now, you're going to watch a man get choked out slowly. Maybe that'll convince you. Mm -hmm. And then in the same week, you're going to watch a white woman literally take advantage of her privilege to call the cops on a black, on a black man. And I really do believe, man, it was that, that uh, combination. But this is where I think the black voices come in. Right. Because of that, I do believe that people are now wanting to hear black voices. They're wanting to hear what black people have to say. And that's why I think sometimes it can, can it can um, get a little bit confusing, especially for white people, because you have some white people that are like, 
this is your space now. This is your time to talk. I don't want to say anything. Sure. You have some white people that are going, well, my best friend who is black said that I should probably be aggressive in voicing who I am. Da, 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 da. So you have all these black people, because we are not monolithic, who are all sharing our opinions on what white people should do right now, which is causing white people to be confused. Because they're going, wait, I can't just put up a black square on my social media. Isn't that <laughs> enough? You know? Yeah. And you, you know what I mean? But I think the reality of the issue is, man, is that we're at a time right now where people want to hear our voices. And I'll take that. I'll take it. If you want to hear it, I don't care who's talking to you. Just listen. Understanding that Black people aren't monolithic. You're going to hear some things that are maybe a little bit crazy. But I, this is what I hope white people hear. And, and, and man, I, I will scream this from the rooftops. But this is my way. This is how I feel. So I, I, I'm, I'm very aware that other people don't feel this way. I, I did an interview for a Las Vegas Review Journal where I was from, uh, where I'm from. And they called me and we, it was like a Tuesday or something. We had a whole interview and it was great. We spent hours on the phone. And then that night there was a protest and two cops were killed. They called me back the next morning and they said, hey, before we publish this story, we wanted to get um, your take on the loss of life of these two police officers. And I'm not exactly sure what they thought I was going to say, but I said to them, listen, Black people don't want anybody to die. We don't want anybody. The entire movement of Black Lives Matter is we don't want any more deaths. So the unspoken rule when we walk out of our door, Damien, I don't care who you are, the psychological unspoken thing that you are saying, that you are saying to the people that you are leaving and the people that you're going to, the, un the unspoken thing is that we are going to make it back home. We walk out of the door all with the intention that we are going to make it home. I think it's important for white people to understand the idea of life is sacred for all. And Black people are screaming that right now. Of course we are saying, don't kill us anymore, because we are having to watch people that look like us on video lose their lives. But what we are screaming is, the death is stupid. The idea that Black people, <laughs> and, and even people that are screaming defund the police, mm -hmm. they're, they're, that's being getting taken out of context. And the idea that Black people don't need police officers, I would argue to say Black people need law enforcement more than anybody else. Right? It's not a matter of us hating law enforcement. It's not a matter of us hating cops. It's a matter of us going, yo, if you signed up to take a vow to protect and to serve, we need you to do your damn job. Because watching a white serial killer eat a burger after you catch them on the street after they kill, kill 12 people, you, you, you found some way to put this white dude in handcuffs and feed him food. But this guy over here who is, is arguing over a fake $20 bill has lost his life. Man, we that we we can't keep going this way anymore, and we're gonna scream that stuff until we can't scream it anymore. Uh, there's a couple of things worth. I I feel like we need to mention Ahmaud Aubrey's name here in this conversation as well, because you, you talk mm -hmm. about a succession of things happening. He was certainly 
kind of in the midst of that succession, though he had been shot months earlier. Whoa, 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 whoa. Here comes a video. And suddenly, you know, we've we've got a situation on our hands. Breonna Taylor uh, gets wrapped up in all of this uh, as well. Um, and it's amazing, Tyler, like we're. It, it's almost the, the, the framework of what Black Lives Matter is when someone responds with, well, no, all lives matter, each and every single one. It's like, oh, you're really, really missing the point here. We're not asking you to treat us differently. We're asking you to treat us exactly the same. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's like we're, right. we're, we're asking you to treat us exactly the same. And, and people who don't uh, take the time to understand, you know, the history of this country and the history uh, w- with law enforcement and police officers, the, the, the Tulsa 1921 topic has suddenly become, you know, very mm-hmm. mainstream over the course of the last couple of weeks. I just did an episode with a sociology professor who has spent years outlining what happened in, in, in Tulsa. And, you know, we had an extensive conversation about how, you know, that white mob that formed around the courthouse, which is, you know, the initial start of what became this Black Wall Street massacre, it mm-hmm. grew because the National Guard joined them, and so did the police. So mm-hmm. it was now the African-American residents of, of, of this uh, district, this Greenwood district in Tulsa, suddenly going up against this angry white mob that multiplied with the National Guard and the police. And it, it all, like, when you, when you get a, a better grasp of our history, you start to realize that, like, George Floyd is a trigger point. Michael Brown is a trigger point, but there are these underpinnings and the underpinnings run back for centuries. They don't, they don't run back for months. They don't run back for years. They don't go back to Trayvon Martin. They go back to Emmett Till. They go back to Tulsa 1921. They go back to, you know, post-slavery and the reconstruction area, but people don't take the time to understand that. Therefore they look at these videos in isolated moments, ignoring the fact that there's a century long history behind all of them. Well, man, you just got to take into consideration this, this simple fact. Black people have become household names because of the way they have been killed. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. You just talk, you, you say these names to me that I know. You say these names to me that, that, that echo in my soul. And I could think about stories about Emmett Till. I heard stories about Emmett Till when I was a child. Mm-hmm. George Floyd is going to be a household name for for your kids, kids, kids. Mm-hmm. Man, black people have become household names because of how they were killed. The only reason now they're household names is because we have video cameras. Yeah. And there's a history there, as you just beautifully stated, that if you understand it at all, you know that what we are screaming is not new. Um, But I will say this, though. The fact now that we have people that are not of color that are listening, um, it it is significant, but it raises the question that now that you are listening, what next? Now that we aren't having to, and granted, there are still many, many other people that are still in that weird spot of not believing or understanding what's going on, but now that you have the suburban mom who is beginning to be a little less fearful to say Black Lives Matter, you know, where, where do we go from here? And it has to be bigger than just understanding our history because uh, Black people, we don't have the, the privilege not to know our history. 
we don't have the privilege not to know the names of the people that were killed because we understand and think that could have been us. I was on a phone call just yesterday, man, for this rally that uh, is going on in Nashville that I'm speaking at coming up in a couple of days. And there were a handful of people on this Zoom call and they went over to the New Yorker, the, you've seen the new, if you haven't, the oh, New Yorker yeah. magazine yeah. with George Floyd on it and it has all of the body, all of the faces inside. And um, we were just kind of, they were just loosely in conversation going through and going like, look, you see inside the body of George Floyd are these names. And the the leisure way that we were talking about these names, man, it stopped me in my tracks. Like, we, these names of people that have been killed have become so casual to us now. They've become so easy for us to say as if they're not someone's child. If that person did not have a mother, if that person didn't have a brother or a, or a, a, a son or a daughter, man, it, it, it's, it, it, it can be difficult to wake up sometimes because it just feels so heavy. And that's where what I've been attempting to do um, with Tyler Merritt Project, man, is just to somewhere in the midst of all this craziness to try to grasp for the doses, the little, the, the pieces of light of hope that is out there, man. And though, you know, there are, there are a handful of people, Black people that aren't on that train right now, man, it's going to become too much for me if I can't find the hope in this. I want to, I want to get to, uh, I want you to talk about the Tyler Merritt project here in just a second. I just realized though, as you were talking, I just jotted like some things down when you were talking about those names and how casually I, you know, we say them. And I realized, you know, the way black people are known in this country, it, it seems it's their athletic ability, their entertainment value or their death. Man, I'm sitting here looking at my coffee table right now and I have, Kobe Bryant's book, I have Stuart Scott's book. And then I'm thinking, man, let me think about some other black people. They're either sports, entertainment, or they or or we're talking about them by by the way that they were killed. If that man doesn't tell you, if that I mean, uh yeah. and, and and then the other thing is, man, Damien, you know this man as well as I do. Stuart Scott, Kobe Bryant. On some levels, they were lucky because they're just another black person. If they didn't have the 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 accolades attached to the who they are, they get pulled over on the street. They are just another Negro. Mm-hmm. And Stuart Scott does not get enough credit for what he was to that industry, uh, the sports media <laughs> industry. And this is a conversation that we have been having a lot, very very regularly lately. That this, the sports media industry is not for Stuart Scott's. It's not geared towards Stuart Scott's. And mm-hmm. the amount of resentment that Stuart Scott and ESPN got when he was making uh, LL Cool J references and Run DMC references <laughs> and Pookie references, and, and he was making references like that. Meanwhile, you got Chris Berman singing Eagles records and, and Dan Patrick, you know, quoting right. the Beatles. And, like, their, their audience understands that. But it's like, what is 
Pookie Rayway? What, what are we doing? What are, what are we talking about? I can't live without Mark. Like, what is this guy? Like, what are we looking at? Like, the, the amount of of hell that he had to go through in those early days uh, at ESPN2 and then at ESPN. You know, he, again, his history is written as he's a trailblazer, and, and that history right. is absolutely accurate. But but don't ever allow someone to frame Stuart Scott like he didn't go through hell uh, as, a, as, a, as a broadcaster in freaking Bristol, Connecticut. You know, for this right. this this startup network in, in into an audience that has been for decades, it's been catered to older white males. And I, I just can't imagine what it, his I can't imagine what his mailbox was like, his email box was like. And thank God social media wasn't around when 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 uh, Stuart Scott got that gig at first, because he was going against the grain, man. No, 100 percent. And what I, I think some people will never be able to understand in the black community how magical it is to watch people on television talk language you understand. Yep. To make a reference that is like normal to you. If if Stuart Scott says, you know, I can't live without my radio. Yeah. You know, for all yeah. for me to sit here as a young black man and be like, this dude is on TV talking my language. You know, like how much that really means to feel like the culture of who we are is a part of mainstream, man. It's a, it's a, it's something that we don't, we don't really stop and think enough. I think. Can you tell us about the Tyler Mayer project? Sure, man. Uh, um, I'll tell you about two years ago in 2018, I, I genuinely, I, when I launched the Tyler Mayer project, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I did some homework and just trying to figure out how I could connect people. Cause what I was learning uh, and this isn't this isn't rocket science. I mean, we segregation still exists in the real life everyday world, but it is amplified on social media, right? On social media, you can literally go and have all of your white white ring friends in one area. You can have all of your Christian people in another area, all of your gay people in another area, your black people over here. Like you can you can now exist on Facebook or on. Uh, Instagram or whatever, and only see the things that make you feel a certain way about your life. And as much time as we spend on social media, um, we have allowed ourselves to segregate ourselves in a completely different way. And so I was realizing this back a few years back, almost about four years ago now. I was sensing this in a way it had to do in 2016 when so many things were going on. I, I noticed this man, and I was special in the, how I've grown up because growing up in Las Vegas, I grew up in a, in a hugely different community. I, I went to a school called Rancho that was super, it was like the gang infested school. Then my senior year, because I was an actor, I ended up transferring over into performing arts school, which was mostly white people and artists. Then I graduated from there thinking I was going to go to like a Juilliard or a NYU. I ended up going to a small Christian college in Santa Cruz area. And then ended up going from playing rap music to singing in a band that sounded more like Counting Crows and, and U2. And ended, that band ended up bringing me to Nashville. So I, I ended up having a 
a weird grouping of people. Not only that, I'm a face of this thing called the Gospel Project for Kids, which goes all over the world. So my social media community looks just like a, a crazy salad of people. Okay? So does your resume, bro. Like, man. <laughs> Oh right, it's, it's all over the place. Right, right, and I'm aware of this. I'm aware of this fact. There's nothing wrong but with it. Was, right. What was happening in my life, though, man, is that I found myself having a very specific kind of opportunity that I could talk to pretty much everybody, mm-hmm. like, and and I wasn't segregated with with all these people. So then it gave me the task of figuring out how can I ask really big questions to a massive grouping of people and still get them to talk about it, not make them angry about it, but get them to actually talk about it. So one of the videos that I did early on in 2018, I decided to launch this and I started making little videos. One I did was called, um, uh, how, how I forget what the exact title is, but it's something effective, how to be a black person and go to a predator's hockey playoff game like the nine things you need to know or something right uh-huh. and so you can check it out man it's kind of hysterical especially if you have ever been to a national predators hockey game but I, so i started putting out these things that were kind of cross-culture right like where black people were g- laughing at things that white people did white people were laughing at things that black people did me justifying why we did those things and so suddenly people were looking at this stuff going We're all laughing together, so it's a little bit hard to argue too much about this, right? So finally, when I did Before You Call the Cops, and there's a story behind why I did Before You Call the Cops, but when I finally made that video, there was already some psychology behind how can I present something to a group of people to make them talk and think and really have some dialogue without pissing everybody off. Now, granted, because the internet's the internet and the internet sucks, you're not going to make everybody happy, right? But I knew that if I created it, if I continue to create content with Tyler Merritt Project, it started on the basis of love, acceptance, being seen, and, and humor, then maybe we can get somewhere. And man, if you would have told me, I, my, my plan, Damien, was um, in January, March, Mar- end of March 2018, I was like, if I can get 6,000 views to a video by the end of 2018. If I could get one video, put it out there and get 6,000 views, which you know, 6,000 views is a lot of views. Yeah, yeah. That's a big group, right? I was thinking by the end of the year, if I can put something out and I knew that I could consistently put something out with 6,000 people, I would, you know, little did I know that by the beginning of May, before you call the cops will be seen by 20 million people. And I was ill-prepared for that. But what I did realize, and that's why I jumped off the internet for two years, I literally disappeared because I was like, y'all crazy. But what I realized is that I was on to something. I was on to being able to put out material that people would want to discuss. So I, when I came back about a month ago, I released a video called The Playlist. I don't know if you've seen that one. If not, mm-hmm. I'll send it to you. Um, and people attached to that as well. Because I had them walking with me in this video where they were going, okay, wait, I'm just like this guy. I'm just like, man, <laughs> is he listening to Taylor Swift? Wait, I'm just, bon jo- wait, you, Kanye? Okay. And they're walking with me and they're going, I'm just like this guy until they are not. Yeah. <laughs> there becomes a very distinct moment where they are not. And what that was allowing people to do is have true and honest dialogue about where we are in America right now in the black story. 
And I was continuing to find a way, and I hope to continue to do it in the Tyler Merritt Project, to, to bring people together in visuals that um, really make people have some kind of actual conversation. The Tyler Mayer Project is a channel on YouTube. Everyone should go subscribe to. I'll link it here in the description of this podcast. Nine easy steps for black folks wanting to attend Nashville Predators playoff games. <laughs> Which, if that's not enough reason for you to uh, click on the title of a, uh, of a of a video like that, that 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 gets you right there. I would be I'd be a horrible interviewer if I didn't ask because you just threw it out there. What was the story behind uh, the famous "Before You Call" video? Man, simply put, it was this. I walk about five miles a day here in Nashville and um, I, to try to stay at least remotely healthy because I love to eat. And one of the places that I walk to, I have to cross kind of a busy intersection and came to, so light turned red and I was about to cross the street. And when I walk here in Nashville, I usually have a hoodie on. I'll usually always have a hoodie. I have a bandana to keep the sweat out of my eyes. I have my sunglasses on and my Beats headphones. And so I'm about to cross the street, man, and I see this older white lady in her truck. And and her window is down and she's facing forward. And I know that I'm going to have to cross in front of her and I might startle her as well. So I go, man, I put my hoodie down. I take off my my headphones so she knew I could hear her. I take my sunglasses off so she knew I could see her. I took my bandana off, put it in my pocket. Um, and then I started to walk across the street, man. I walk across the street and I'm about, you know, three feet away from her. So she slowly turns so I don't startle her, but she sees me. And man, she acts like she's out of a cartoon, bro. Like she, she, she starts dramatically like trying to lock the doors, rolls up the windows, grabs the steering wheel, looking the green light, like, please change, please change. And man, typically I would have just walked by and not said or thought anything, but I stopped, man, in front of her and I looked and through the window and I laughed and I wasn't laughing at her, man, but I was laughing because I was thinking to myself, lady, if you knew everything that I just had to do to make myself smaller so that you would feel safe, if you knew everything that I just did to try to, to, to humanize myself so you, you wouldn't have this inevitable moment. You knew that I was just trying to get to this bench that I call my mom from, that I love, that I, I just want to talk to my mother today. If you knew that I teach Sunday school, if you knew that I, that I hate bananas, you know, I, I was having this moment, man, where I was just simply going, man, if you just knew. So I came home. Um, and a few hours later, later that evening, I think the thought was just still with me. And though I didn't attach the sentiment to that moment, I had the idea, this video of just putting this video together of, and remember, I said, I, I studied psychology. So I knew how I delivered every line was going to matter. I knew everything I decided to talk about was going to matter. I knew that I needed to talk about the present in a way that wasn't, um, gaslighting the situation yeah. you know and all of those things were me though and the idea was if i could just say yo i just want you to get to know me better before you call the cops maybe if you knew this you wouldn't have acted the way you did and hey i'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt maybe you don't have any black people in your life so you can't look at me the same way you might look at your son 
and it disarms you, or the way that you look at your sister and it disarms you. You look and look at me and go, I don't have any black people in my life. All I know is this guy looks scary. I don't know what's going to happen in this moment. But if you can watch this video and for a second go, okay, this guy's afraid of spiders too. That's actually kind of funny. Bananas are disgusting. Wait a second. Who knows the lyrics to a musical? Who's this NWA group? <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, if if I could draw this picture, then maybe we can have some forward movement. And I'll be honest with you, man, I never thought it would have the impact that it did. But um, I really never thought any of the videos that I was going to put out did. I was just betting, Damien, I was betting on the idea that if we can laugh together, and we can love together. That's the truth, man. You, you're a real one, Tyler, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been super generous with your time. Uh, if you see Tyler in a hoodie, just check to see what it says, because it might say the mayor from Jaws is still the mayor in Jaws 2. It is important to vote in your local elections. Dude, that's not something you bought off the rack. Like, where did you get that from? Yeah, that man. Made- no, man, I, I, saw, I saw somebody in some video online had it, and I was like, I have to have that shirt. I have, so I have so many hoodies that are dope now, man. And, <laughs> and I'm going to give props. I'm going to give props to a company called Redbubble right now. I need oh, to, there you go. Need, I need to get sponsorship by Redbubble. Um, that specific one isn't for Redbubble, but with Redbubble, you can pr- pretty much find everything you want. Yeah. Including, bro, let me give you an example. Including, somebody sent me a screenshot of a shirt that said, before you call the cops, Tyler Merritt project that was on Redbubble. I'm like, what? what? Well, I guess so, it's a, I guess it's a gift and a curse. It's dope, but you're not getting any right. You're not right. getting I any residuals that. from that. I, I ain't tripping on that. But hey, before I go, really quick, man, if I can, uh, it would be bad of me not to mention this part. The video that you're talking about specifically, I wore in a video called "This Is Who I Am" challenge. Mm-hmm. Can I talk about that really? Quick? Oh man, of course. Yeah, great. So the "This Is Who I Am" challenge, man. That came to me when I got back on social media. I still actually had most of my social media locked down. Like my Twitter, it was private. So I would have to welcome you into it. It wasn't just open to the world. Everybody was pissed because I would say something and they couldn't share it or they couldn't retweet it. Um, And I, I I wasn't even back on Instagram, though before you call the cops of blowing up on Instagram in a way I wasn't even aware. People were sending me screenshots of Lionel Richie retweeting videos on Instagram. And I was like, okay, I should probably go back in that world. But I did it because I was trying to, because the internet sucks, right? And so um, after I had that interview that I talked about from the Review Journal, and they asked me about the cops that were dying, later that evening, man, something started birthing in me where I was like, man, we we need to stop dying. Like, we ain't going to die tonight, man. We are, we are not going to die anymore. Like, I can't keep picking up my phone and flipping, you know, through the news and seeing another black face died or seeing another cop die. And so that night I went to bed with this idea that I knew couldn't work because my social media was still locked down. I woke up the next morning and Jimmy Kimmel had sent me a, a message and he told me that his wife was like, my wife Tyler is saying you need to open up your social media because she likes what you're saying and she can't even share it. And my wife can't share your stuff. This is a problem. So, um, I decided to create this, this is who I am challenge, open up all of my social media and let anybody go and do whatever they want with it. And the simple idea with it was this, man. Go, on, go online 
say, this is who I am. Tell us five things about you and who you are and close it out by saying, this is who I am. The idea behind that was if something, God forbid, were to ever, ever, ever happen to you, we would almost have a marked safe video of you saying who you were. So nobody would have to question it. I wish I had one on George Floyd. I wish I had one on Heather Heyer. I wish I was able to go back and say, we know who this person was because they told us. So I put out this challenge and said, you know what? Go out and do this. And I'm not just talking about people of color. I'm talking about anybody. Just go and do this thing. Man, I was taken back. I was shocked and surprised, bro, by how many people that are allies of people of color took this opportunity to come along and were waiting for the opportunity to just get out there and say, this is who I am. I have a cat named Susie. I like Fruit Loops. Um, I like to sleep a lot. I work for this company and I am an ally of people of color and I'm shouting it from the rooftops. Man, allies came out of the woodworks. You were having beautiful black people coming out and saying, I am so much more than this thing. I work for this company. This is what I'm about. I have a daughter who's beautiful. You would have white women who were coming out going, I have an adopted black child. And though I don't know what it feels like to be a black mother, my heart echoes with you because I have to see my son walk out the doors. We started getting stuff from all people from all over the world, just wanting to be seen, man. And now we're having police officers. And I talk about it in the video. I asked police officers, but I didn't think they would actually do it because it's almost like putting a little bit of a target on you on some level because you're basically saying who you are and what you do. But man, I have, I have this female police officer who just last week came on, she's sitting in her car and she just as peaceful as the day is like, hey, my name is Sherry. And she's there in her, like, in her uniform, man. And she's like, I'm a Christian. I, I, I'm a mom. It's my, my greatest thing. And I just believe everybody needs to be treated equally. And she goes off, man. I'm sitting in my house watching this video and I'm thinking about how this was motivated out of me just being pissed, right? <laughs> like we ain't gonna die no more. But here I am watching this cop say, this is who I am. I believe in people. And man, on nights when I'm reminded of George Floyd, on nights when I'm reminded of Emmett Till, being able to take a moment and see our allies because we don't have the privilege just to assume that you are one, man, that stuff is like chicken soup to my soul, man. So we're still going with it. I just invite anybody, and, and, and just let me be really clear to say, especially with white people, I understand that it takes a little dose of bravery to go onto Facebook or go onto whatever social media platform you have and, and talk about who you are. Because you risk people even in your own church going against your single sentiment of wanting to stand by someone. And you go again, you're, you're maybe going against your grandparents, your parents. Um, I know there's a, a dose of bravery that goes along with being able to tell people who you are. But if that's your bad, if that's something that's your, your cup of tea, I, I invite people to join in and hashtag it, this is who I am, hashtag it, the Tyler Merritt Project because there's people that are watching it um, and they're loving seeing all of these people come forward, man. That's amazing stuff, man. We're all going to jump on this. This is who I am challenge right now, man. As we get this out there to the world, you, you were super generous with your time. 
especially given your level of celebrity now, my man. Thank you so much for spending <laughs> some time with us. We really appreciate it. Hey, man, keep doing what you're doing, bro. I, can I just tell you, I appreciate you, man. I, I appreciate the fact that you were taking this moment to discuss big issues. Um, it means a lot, Damien. Thank you for reaching out, man. And hopefully I'll be back again. We are not going to die today. You, as you set out the door to change the world, and you, as you step outside to serve and protect, not today. I want to invite anyone who is watching this to do the This Is Who I Am Challenge. Look, I'm not big on challenges, but I was inspired by your overwhelming response to my videos before you called the cops in the playlist, and I'm asking you to think of five things significant to who you are. Put it on tape and upload it to every single platform you have. Start the video by simply saying, this is who I am and then tell us those five things and at the end, close it out by saying this is who I am. There is a cycle of violence taking place right now that we are all trying our best to stop. God forbid anything ever happen to you protesting or simply walking down the street. We can look at your video and say this is who they were. This isn't just for people of color who we're specifically fighting for right now, but this is for anyone who is an advocate for change, anyone wherever you are that is willing to fight for what's right. And before you say who you think this should be for, I have two words, Heather Hire. But this is what we also need. I get messages from police officers all over the world, desperately seeking out the change that people of color are striving for. My law enforcement friends, I plead with you to do this challenge as well. So when we look across the lines at a protest or you come to our service in our neighborhood, we can say that those are around us. Hey, wait, 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 I know him, I've seen him. This is who he is. So get your phone out. Look, it doesn't have to be all fancy, though. I know some of y'all are going to try to put all the filters on it and filter all up and whatnot. But look, you do you, boo-boo. But just keep it under a minute and upload it with the hashtag, this is who I am, and the hashtag, the Tyler Merritt Project, so that we can find you. You deserve to be known. Whether you have a million followers or one, your life matters. Black, white, young, old, gay, straight, police officer, or store owner. And trust, people are going to hate because, well, the internet but we need you to be brave right now. We are trying to save lives by any means necessary. We're not gonna die today. So take a minute, for the sake of our lives, tell us who you are. Now, let's go out and change the world, shall we? I'm a storyteller, I'm a son, I'm Smoothie and Sprout's dad, I'm Jackson and Morgan's godfather, and I believe we need change. Thank y'all for the support on Patreon.